Hello everyone and welcome once again to Ultimate Motorcycling's weekly podcast, Motos and Friends. My name is Arthur Coldwells. The Yamaha name stands for a heritage of motorcycle performance and classic styling. Visit your local dealer to find the 2023 Yamaha Sport Heritage Bike for you or go to yamahamotorsports.com to find out more. This week, editor Don Williams brings you the all-new Harley-Davidson Breakout. This uber-cool and fearsomely powerful motorcycle is not just a head-turner in the looks department. Don explores what he loves about the bike, and he points out its possible shortcoming as well. In our second segment, TJ Adams chats with MotoGP commentator and technical guru Simon Crafar. Many of you know that he was a successful top-level racer and an ex-Olin suspension tech, but it's less likely that you know that he and his wife are also passionate dog lovers and rescuers too. Simon realized that many of his colleagues in the paddock shared their desire, so they started Riders for Dogs. It's a non-profit organization that raises money to support dog rescue charities, and they've had a hugely positive reaction from both the MotoGP paddock as well as all you motorcyclists around the world. Check out their social media to see auctions of awesome rider gear, or of course you can just donate to this incredibly worthy cause. The big news is that an amazingly generous German couple recently donated a spectacular Honda RC45 in Castrol colors, similar to the one that Simon raced in the 90s. After Simon has finished with some necessary TLC, the bike will be auctioned and every penny raised will go to Riders for Dogs. As well as his charity work for dogs, Simon also gives us some opinions and insight into some of the current MotoGP happenings. So, from all of us here at Ultimate Motorcycling, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The Yamaha name stands for a heritage of motorcycle performance and classic styling. Visit your local dealer to find the 2023 Yamaha Sport Heritage bike for you. Like the Yamaha Bolt R-Spec that features a torquey V-twin engine combining old-school soul and modern form. Or the XSR 900, where timeless design meets the sheer power of a CP3 power plant and is the rebirth of a legend. The XSR 700 is built to be customized with modern classic looks and cross-plane concept twin performance. And the light and nimble V-Star 250 is built for fun with a V-twin engine and a low seat height for easy handling. For all things Yamaha Sport Heritage, visit yamahamotorsports.com or see the Bolt R-Spec XSR 900, XSR 700 or the V-Star 250 at your local dealer today. So on to the 2023 Harley-Davidson Breakout 117. Breakout was around for a while, uh, disappeared a couple years ago. Just one of those things that kind of, I guess they probably had sold as many as they thought they were going to sell. And uh, it left the lineup for a couple of years. And this year it's back, but it's not the same motorcycle. Uh, Harley-Davidson updated the uh, Breakout. And now it's instead of the 114 motor, it's got the 117 motor. And as I think everybody knows, a bigger motor is a better motor. And uh, especially for a bike like this. And before we get too deep into the breakout, 
I can let everybody know that the bike has two purposes. One is to make you look cool, which is kind of the goal of every motorcycle. And the second one is for you to go fast in a straight line. And uh, it does both of those quite well. And it doesn't, it's not really interested in a lot of other things. And there's some, some reasons for that. And I'll just kind of go over them. It looks, it looks cool. Uh, I had the orange version and everywhere I went, people would go, oh, cool bike. Oh, what's that? Oh, yeah. oh I love that bike. I had rolled it out of the, our uh, garage and it was in the street and this lady walks by, she goes, oh, that is a beautiful motorcycle. It was like, wherever you go, people are gonna admire the, the breakout. They just, they just love it. It's got the 21 inch front wheel, the 240 millimeter rear tire. It has great paint. It just has that, it defines that cruiser look. You know, it's like just great. Raked out front end, super long. The bike is about going straight. <laughs> and that's good because there's lots of places in the United States where you go straight. <laughs> and the 117 motor will get you straight in a straight line fast. Uh, it's uh, 123 foot pounds of torque. And so it just cranks it right away. And, uh, you know, you pull away from a stoplight and, you know, it's always fun when you're next to some guy on a sport bike, he kind of looks at your bike and he's, mm, you know, and then you roll on the gas. And unless he was like revving it up and had launch control on, you're gone. And eventually <laughs> he goes by you because, you know, you're, you're on the street, but he always looks like, oh, what did that guy do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. I mean, and that's been true with cruisers for a long time, but we, the bigger they get, the you know, with that 117 cubic inch motor, you can really do it easily and you can really, really haul fast, fast. I mean, you can just get there right away. And so, you know, around town, you gotta have to pay attention. I mean, in LA, you don't have to pay attention because there's almost no police on the streets anymore. So you can go as fast as you want. And uh, so it's a great place to ride the breakout. You know, like I said, it's got the, the 240 front, the 21 inch front wheel, and nothing about that says turning the bike. And Harley Davidson understands that. And so it kept the bike low, which makes it easy to ride. Uh, when you go around a corner, like let's say you're just making a left-hand turn in the street, you're gonna a lot of times drag your heel. And uh, I kind of like bikes like that, where instead of it touching down steel, like a foot peg feeler or something, your your boot rubs because it's a, just a softer thing and, and you kind of feel cool like oh there's my boot rubbing you know it's not even like going around a corner it's just like making a turn <laughs> that's wow. how you know limited the cornering clearance is but uh that's okay you know it's kind of funny to talk about it but it feels confident in the corners I mean, it's long and so when you even though you have the skinny front tire the fat rear tire once it's kind of set it it, it feels okay you know, it's not like it's like, oh, I'm turning. What am I going to do? Like, like, let's say you had a, a, a chopper, you know, a high neck chopper with, with apes and you're turning and the whole thing's like shaking and wobbling. You're like, ah, you know, this isn't like that. I mean, this feels planted, feels good, but you just run out of cornering clearance very, very fast. And uh, which is fine. You know, you just know that that's not what this bike is about. This bike is about, as I pointed out, looking cool. And going fast in a straight line and it, and it does both of those so it has very foot forward controls does it or they're not mid controls or even close to it yeah they're not all the way forward they're they're forward but they're not you're not your legs aren't like straight out like they are sometimes 
Okay. Know, they're, they're forward, but not excessively forward. But they're uh-huh. certainly not mids, not even close to that. But okay. what they did this Harley did this year, which was a huge help, because when I ride the bike before you, the previous breakouts, you just you couldn't ride it that long because you were in that total jackknife position. You know, the the bars were short and stubby and far ahead, and your feet were far ahead, and so you just kind of you're in this weird position. You're riding it, and you're like, uh, <laughs> and it was still fast, and 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 it kind of looked cool. Like a lot of people like that look, like this forward. You know, okay, I'm looking cool, but from a practical motorcycle rider standpoint, it was it was not very comfortable, and it was about how you looked. This year, they widened the bars and pulled them back. They're almost like beach bars, and you sit much more upright. So even though your feet are, are forward, but not excessively forward, you know, you're not like reaching for the bars like you were. You're sitting much more more upright, not totally upright, but close. And the bars are wide, so you have good leverage on the on the front end, and just feels better. And you still look cool. You know, you may not look like as menacing because you're not like leaned over, you know, but you look cool. It's it's a little bit more of a a beach cruiser look than a, a pro street kind of thing, but that's fine. And uh, you know, nobody looked at me like oh, I don't like the way that you looked on that bike. Everybody liked the way I looked on the bike. You know, it just it's just, you know, you pull up to, not like every stoplight, but a lot of stoplights. If somebody has their window down, you know, they're going to say, hey, that's a cool bike. Or they're going to look at it and kind of nod. Or there's a lot of appeal to that motorcycle, to the non-motorcycling world. And even to people who have like sport bikes and stuff. If I'm in a gas station, if there's another guy with a bike, there'd be somebody there. And they'd look at it and go, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a nice bike. You know, like even if that's not their kind of bike, it's the kind of motorcycle where, people appreciate the way it looks and and they they admire the bike and as you know i've gone through this probably almost every time i i do a podcast the super important part of owning a motorcycle you want to feel cool and you want other people to acknowledge how cool you are and some bikes do that a lot more than others and harley davidson definitely has that aspect of the motorcycling experience down and certain models especially really elicit a lot of positive uh, attention and this is one of the ones and maybe it's because it was orange you know people love the harley davidson orange and yeah, so sure. um, you know and that's it, it's bright and it's happy you know and so they look at it and it and it's cool and i had uh, a new awry contour helmet that has the jolly roger on it <laughs> it's black with the jolly roger they had one maybe 10 years ago and they discontinued it and i was bummed because one thing that I liked about that helmet was that I could wear it on any kind of bike. You know, the Jolly Roger looks cool on a sport bike. It looks cool on a cruiser. It looks cool on your touring. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's like, that is like the cool motorcycle look. Well, they brought it back this year and, uh, or just recently, in fact, it's not even, I don't think it's even on their website yet, but I, I got one of the first ones because I had complained bitterly about that. And uh, uh-huh. maybe they brought it back just for me, who knows? But it's on the contour helmet now. Before it was on the Defiant X, which has now been discontinued. Another thing I complained about to them. But the contour, if, if anybody doesn't remember the, what the contour helmet is, the new uh, Arai contour is kind of a sport helmet. So it has, it's, it's the one step below the Corsair X racing type helmet. And it's got a little spoiler on the upper back. 
Well, on this helmet, you might say, oh, a spoiler on a cruiser? What, dude? No, you don't look cool. <laughs> on this particular, with this particular graphic, that it's it's a black helmet with a white skull and crossbones, which makes sense because skeletons are white. Well, the, uh, the spoiler looks like a duck bill. Like, you know, like your, like your help, like if you were like a 50s guy and you had the ducktail hairdo where it's like flipped up in the back. So even though it's a spoiler and it has a practical purpose although never really as fast as you would go on this bike it looks it looks kind of it kind of fits the look so I'm, I'm really happy with the with the new Arai contour helmet it was the first one of theirs that I got and uh you know as much as I missed the Defiant X the contour X is, is is a great helmet and like I said the new skull and crossbones look and the ducktail spoiler looks perfect again I can wear it on a cruiser I can wear it on a sport bike I can wear it on a touring bike and I'm Nobody's going to think I look out of place. And speaking of the spoiler and going fast, uh, you can take the Breakout 117 out on the freeway. Uh, it's okay. The front wheel will wander in the rain grooves. Uh, now, the fat rear keeps things going in a straight line, but the front end just doesn't feel quite as planned as you like. And that also brings up that there's only one front brake. You, you don't get two discs. You get one 300-millimeter disc. So uh, as okay. is the case with Harleys, one of the first things I always check with Harleys, I always find out, I, I ride them, I, I, the first thing I think is, is this a front brake Harley or is this a rear brake Harley? <laughs> Some Harleys, you, like, you know, you use the front brake like you do on uh, you know, a typical motorcycle, but others, the front brake kind of isn't that impressive and the rear brake is where the power is. And that's pretty much the case with this, uh, with the Breakout 117. And, and the reason is, is because again, you have a 240 millimeter rear tire plus a 282 millimeter rear disc. I mean, that's a big disc for the rear tire. Yeah, and the weight is clearly rearward as well. I mean, it's really rear, it's balanced to the rear very much. Oh now. yeah, it's got, th uh, the fork angle is 36 degrees. <laughs> okay. So, you know, and the wheelbase 66.7 inches. So it's, it's long. So the, that weight is on the rear wheel. So you, you get used to using the foot brake. And when you, of course, when you use the foot brake, uh, the 117 has what Harley calls the heavy breather intake. And it's this really cool intake. And this is one of the things that people, when I think when they see the bike, they go, oh, that looks cool. Because it turns at a 90 degrees and it's chrome, like much of the, the bike is. And it has this little pointy front end and you kind of go, oh, wow, I don't know what that is, but it looks cool. And so, but when you're putting on the brake, at least, you know, everybody's got their own ergonomics size. But with my leg and knee angle, joint angle when i put on the brake it kind of bumps into that so it was kind of you know again for some other person it will bump more for other people it won't bump at all but uh still you know i was using the rear brake a lot and the front brake was kind of like well if i really need to stop i'll add some front brake but you know you're asking a lot of that 130 130 millimeter 21 inch front wheel to stop <laughs> You know, a bike that weighs 683 pounds plus me on it, so you're looking at over 800 pounds. Just that one, that one brake, that one disc, like in that little tire patch. It's like, hey, wait a minute, I can't do that, and it doesn't even feel that good when you pull it on hard because that rear, the rest of the bike is kind of pushing into it. You know, and it, and it's right. like that's all. Hey, dude, you know, so you want to use the rear brake most of the time, and. It's funny, I get complaints from people when I talk about that. Though. Oh, no, you're always using the front brake. It's like, well, no, you're wrong. <laughs> if you rode this motorcycle, you would realize that the rear brake is where most of the 
braking power is, at least on a practical level. But yeah, you, you still need to, of course, be uh, fluent in front brakes. So if there's a red light ahead that you don't think you can just power through, you know, you get on the brakes, you want both brakes. Uh, ABS ABS is standard and it's, you know, it's the typical Harley Davidson. It's not the newest version of ABS, you know, so it's not like cornering away or anything of that. Not that you're cornering the bike much anyway, but it just, it's kind of intrusive. You know, it's easy to, it's easy to feel like you're activating it. It's like rarely typically do I actuate the front ABS on a bike. You know, I have a pretty good feel for the front end and I don't like to feel, I don't, you know, I'm, I, having grown up in the pre, in the non ABS era, I don't want to skid the front wheel. So I have, a, you know, I work around that, but on this bike, I was like, you know, that front brake and it was relatively easy to, to trigger the ABS, which of course tells you use the rear brake. So, <laughs> right. so that was, that's kind of one of those things. And, and also it, the, breakout you know the ride on it is fairly i don't want to say rough but it's certainly not smooth and you know that's probably part of the whole you know the feel of ah, i'm a tough guy i'm riding this this big cruiser i'm going fast going a straight line so it has this aspect to the way it's shaped so you're going to feel like you want to have a little bit more of the bumpy bumpy road and you know feel for the road feel for the, the rough streets the mean streets of los angeles and I kind of came to this conclusion that it has to show a dual bending valve 49 millimeter fork. It's a big, beefy, fat fork, which is great. You know, this is a big step up from the olden days when they had the little spaghetti forks. And when you got on, again, when you got on the front brake, not only did it not do much, but the front end was like wobbly. With these 49 millimeter forks, one thing you're not having a problem with is fork, fork flex. But what I kind of surmised from riding is that 36 degree fork angle kind of compromises the action you know it's like it's so far for you know it's pointing so far out that when you hit a bump instead of it kind of going up you know it's it's it almost like it needs a leading link fork at, at that right. kind of angle right. so it's it, it that is part of the roughness of it is that is that you can't really get the right action from it the fork at, at that angle okay the shock is okay you know it's got th three and a half inches of travel which is you know okay, it's compromised a bit by the, the low profile real, rear tires. So it's not soaking up bumps. That rear tires pretty much not helping. So you're, you're feeling more. So, you know, these are compromises. I think that somebody who's interested in the breakout 117 and, and the persona that it projects, they're not gonna buy, they would like to have a hardtail probably sort of until <laughs> they rode one, but it kind of, you know, it has, because it's soft tail, it has the hardtail look. It doesn't have the softest of tails of, in the in the Harley Davidson world, and certainly doesn't have the softest forks. But it's good enough. It's not like an old Sportster where you're jolted and you're oh, what was that? You know, it's still <laughs> it, it works. It works pretty good. It's just not as good as as other sp soft tails are because of the the geometry of the front end. So, okay. you know, that's it, and and the size of the rear tire and the and the profile of the rear tire. So. You know, when I wrote the review of the, the the new Breakout 117, it was pretty easy to write because a lot of motorcycles have a lot of different, like this bike doesn't have any power modes. It does have, interestingly, it have traction control. Uh, that's kind of a new thing that Harley has been adding to, you know, all their bikes. And it has traction control that you can switch off. And I guess you would switch it off if you're going to do burnouts, <laughs> you know. But other than that, 
it, it I never felt like the bike was not fast enough. Like, well, with the traction control, it, it, it inhibits the acceleration. No, no way. With the traction control on, that thing moves, you know, and there's no reason to really turn it off right. unless you're doing a burnout. But, you know, I'm, I can imagine that people that buy this bike would be, a, you know, an aficionado of burnouts and would want to have that option. So it's, it's good that they have that. Uh, but anyway, so it's an easy bike to review because it's really all about looking cool. And I know all about looking cool, of course. And, uh, <laughs> and going in a straight line, which in Los Angeles, we have, in addition to, you know, taking it out of Mulholland, where I quickly found out that you had to be very sedate uh, in corners. Uh, you know, on all, we have a lot of big, long boulevards, you know, 20 mile long at a corner. And, you know, going through town on that thing, it was just fun to go blasting away from stoplights and then when you're at stop at one having the guy roll down the window and say wow that's a cool motorcycle and you know you just feel good and so uh it's good to have the breakout back it, it wasn't you know it's was probably one of my least favorite motorcycles previously because of the the seating position and the handlebars being so far forward it was just not comfortable didn't handle so it's kind of like okay i when i like to look cool i like to look cool for a little longer before i get uncomfortable and now with the ergonomics, I can look cool all day. I mean, I can ride that bike for hours, no problem. And that was not the case before. So uh, I think Carly made a, a good move on that. It didn't compromise the the badass look to it, uh, but they kept it, you know, but they made it more enjoyable to ride. And motorcycles are supposed to be, I think, well, not everybody thinks that, but I think the motorcycles should be enjoyable to ride. And, and this bike absolutely was uh, a great positive uh, surprise you know, I remember the old one. I knew they had pulled the bars back, but I, you know, you never know until you ride it what it's going to be like. But it's it's cool, and of course, the new 117 motor is is so great because, especially compared to the twin cam, because it has that nice over rev, so you don't have to shift quite so early, so you can really get going really fast, really quick, and it's it's fun. Right. Yeah. One thing I do like about uh, what Harley did with the breakout is it has. The instrument panel is integrated into the handlebar clamp. So you have right. the handlebar clamp, the four bolts, and in the interior there is a little LCD. And there's, they have this on a few other models. And instead of it being like a big round clock on the tank that you can never see, this one is actually up in your, relatively in your line of sight at the handlebar clamp. It's very minimal. You're basically seeing how much gas you have and what your speed is. There are a couple of smaller, uh, readouts like the clock you know what time it is and things like that but the 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 main thing is how much gas and how fast you're going and then below that there's a you know like an idiot lights array but it's super clean you know when somebody's looking at the bike it almost feels like there's no instruments at all like you're just you don't care i don't care yeah that's really cool yeah yeah it's easy to access the speed if you care you know and if but whenever i get a harley that has this particular feature this particular readout i'm always happy because it's like this just looks cool and it's just another part of the the kind of minimalist look of the bike the bike isn't you know i mean it's got a lot of chrome it's, it's adorned from that aspect but it's not got a lot of you know it's got the the chopped rear fender with the side mount um, license plate and so everything's very spare on it the, the front uh fender is chopped too so it's yeah it's, it's kind of like a 
a bobber. I should say it's not chop. It's bob. The rear fender's bob. Front fender's bob. Everything's bobbed on it. Yeah. Although they did put a bigger tank on it this year, which I thought was interesting. I like the look of it. I think it looks good. That big tank. Yeah, I think it's because the bike's more comfortable. <laughs> You're willing to ride it farther. Yeah. Before they could have put a one-gallon tank. You're like, okay, that's fine. You know, I need to stop anyway. <laughs> Now, five is kind of a lot. I don't know that I would want to, I, I didn't run through a full tank without stopping. You know, that's, that, that's a, that's a, that would be quite a ride. When you get on the freeway, once you get past uh, 80, 85, you really start to feel like a sail. You know, the way your arms are out. You know, I suppose if I had tucked in and leaned down, just didn't feel kind of the desire to do that. You could, you know, you could get well over a hundred on it, but it's not with the width of the bars and how, how upright you sit it's it's not a freeway bike although like i said like it's 70 it's fine like you're not you don't feel put out by the wind or anything you feel good you're going good but you get up above 80 or so and it's kind of like oh okay it, it's not really designed for this you know it's very much an urban motorcycle when people talk about urban motorcycles they're often thinking about a little 300 or something like that uh well, this is a big urban motorcycle, but but truly is an urban motorcycle. Yeah, well, I think it's a it's an absolutely stunning looking bike. So uh, I think you've kind of pretty much nailed it there. All right. Well, hey, thanks. I um, appreciate your insight into the 2023 Harley Davidson Breakout 117. Great. And I'll be back with something new soon. <laughs> All right, Don. Hey, thanks a lot. Okay, bye. In our second segment, TJ Adams chats with MotoGP commentator and technical guru Simon Crafar. Many of you know that he was a successful top-level racer and an ex-Olin suspension tech, but it's less likely that you know that he and his wife are also passionate dog lovers and rescuers too. Simon realized that many of his colleagues in the paddock shared their desire. So they started Riders for Dogs. It's a non-profit organization that raises money to support dog rescue charities. And they've had a hugely positive reaction from both the MotoGP paddock, as well as all you motorcyclists around the world. Check out their social media to see auctions of awesome rider gear. Or of course, you can just donate to this incredibly worthy cause. The big news is that an amazingly generous German couple recently donated a spectacular Honda RC45 in Castrol colors, similar to the one that Simon raced in the 90s. After Simon has finished with some unnecessary TLC, the bike will be auctioned and every penny raised will go to Riders for Dogs. As well as his charity work for dogs, Simon also gives us some opinions and insight into some of the current MotoGP happenings. Shoe Birth Helmets, head protection technology made in Germany. The new Shoebirth E2 launches this month. It's like a C5 with a new peak visor, increased ventilation with a new chin air intake, and a larger rear exhaust spoiler. It's got the same features of the C5, including a revised fit with customizable inner pads for comfort, Increased safety with new EPS material and anti-roll-off system. And it's pre-wired for the new SC2 communication system offering mesh by Senna. It's also got a locking mechanism to hold your chin bar open. Learn more about all the new features at shoebirth.com. 
the new Schuberth E2. Endless adventure. I'm interested, first of all, to ask how you became a MotoGP commentator. Actually, that's a good question because, I mean, I wouldn't have even figured it out. I wouldn't, I didn't have it planned, you know, it just, what happened was I got an email out of the blue uh, from Dorna, one of the journalists there, asking me if it was possible the next GP I went to, uh, to come and have an interview with them because they were making a historic series. The, the viewers will probably have seen some of them, you know, it's um, things that went on. One of them was, well, one, of the, one of them was my race win. They did a video on that and they have footage spliced in with me now talking and me then. The other one they did, they made two was uh, the qualifying at Assen that McDoon stole pole off me in the last minute. You know, literally in the last seconds. Um, uh, so they interviewed Mick, interviewed me, and then had a bunch of the old footage. So that was the historic video. So uh, unknown to me was my current boss. Uh, he was watching these be recorded, you know, just overseeing, watching. And um, uh, I asked him later, and he said, well, I had the thought of instead of being three journalists in the commentary team, uh, in the future, when we lose one of those journalists, replace it with an ex-writer uh, from high level, which narrows it down. And he said, so every time I bumped into a, high, uh, a writer I thought would be able to do the job or be interested, that's the two things, um, I wrote their name down. And he said, you did those videos first take and you were polite. So I thought easy to work with um, and can talk to a camera. Uh, so he wrote my name down. I didn't know. And then uh, must have been six months later, they did lose one of their journalists. Um, and so uh, he then asked the journalist to contact me again and say, next time you come to a GP, come and see us. And right. I thought, I thought, I'm flat out with the Moto Voodoo, you know, teaching and and I went, oh, another video, you know. So I kind of went, okay, I'll, I'll bump into them and, and help them out, you know, but it wasn't a high priority. I went to Aragon and I forgot. <laughs> I literally <laughs> forgot because I just had a few days off and put my van and bikes in the shed and go to Aragon, come back. Then later in the year, I get another email reminding me and I went, oh, yeah, I'm coming to Valencia the last round. I'll see you there. So I went and saw them and they hit me with that. Do you want, are you interested in this job? And I was like, right. Um, so first thing I had to do was I said to them, I have to run it by my wife and kids because the reason I left the paddock last time, I was a Olin's technician after I uh, retired from riding and uh, the job I really liked and the people I really liked at Olin's, great guys, the boss there, Matt's last and super guy still love him now in magic as well as being very clever um and i left that job because we had brand new baby we're living in andorra my wife has no support system and here's me most of the time away and mm. I, I could feel um i convinced olin's to uh, give me the money i wanted the first year was pretty bad because i had to prove myself and learn and you know 
I did that and I went, right, I'll, you know, I want some proper money to do the job so I can continue. They gave me the, the contract. And when I literally was looking at it, I went to sign it. I thought, if I scribble on here, there's quite a good chance I'll end up divorced, you know? Yes, because, it's got to be a family decision. And I went, I can't do it, you know? So, um, which was the right decision. And um, sorry to make that so long-winded, but it was the reason I thought I have to ask my wife and kids. But so they were all on the call and you're talking, one's already left school and the other one's, uh, you know, got three years to go, four years to go. Um, yes. So something like that. And um, they just went, go for it. You know, you've got to do it. So it's a totally, they're supporting me. You know what I mean? They're, and they're, That's right. The little family's running by itself now and they're happy. And my wife and I are closer than ever. So I feel safe. I felt safe to go and do it with their blessing, you know, so that, yeah. that's it. Interesting how things come around, as you say, unplanned. Well, the, the one that blows my mind is not getting the job. It's realising that everything's been building to that. It's so, so weird because first I was a bike mechanic, then and I, I prepared my own race bikes in the early days to win the championships at home in New Zealand. Um, then I was a rider. Then I was a technician. Then, so I understand all the technical side and the riding side. Then I was a, I had Moto Voodoo, you know, ran that for 11 years, something like that. And uh, it's 11 or 12. Kirst helped me run that. I won't take that um, uh, credit by myself. She did all <laughs> Behind of Behind every man. <laughs> oh, yeah. All of the bookings, all the paperwork, all the accounting, all the, oh, um, so what I'm saying is the teaching taught me how to put it into words because I didn't know. And it takes a couple of years of teaching to be able to make it um, understandable, you know, when you, when you tell someone what someone's doing on a bike. So then I realized all of those things help, you know, to the commentary. Yeah, you've got the knowledge and you learn how to partake of that knowledge and explain it. Well, <laughs> the big struggle, even with all that knowledge, was I had no idea um, how to get it. I knew what I, I knew the answer, but how to be a journalist, you know, com commentary, I, I didn't know, you know. And I don't think Kiwis, New Zealanders are good at speaking naturally, unlike Americans. Uh, you put a microphone oh, really? in front of mo most, they speak. Yeah, because our culture is so... Um, basically, if you act confident, you get shit for it, you know, in right. our culture. Yeah, it's really humble, say nothing, work. That's kind of the mentality. You poke your head out of that, you get it chopped off, you know. So people don't say much, don't articulate things well because of it, you know. And so anyway, um, not naturally anyway, um, and so I struggled the first especially the first year. And I, I would say, I'd put it like this now that I look back, is the first year, yeah, shit, you know, I was bad. And then this second year, I knew the answers, but I just didn't know how to put it across smoothly. And then the second year, you kind of, uh, you start learning from your mistakes and you start getting it. And the third year, you get some confidence to add to that and you're away, you know, and that's 
just like being a motorcycle mechanic, you know, because that's the only other thing I'd done a trade in. And um, same deal. I think it's pretty much, I think people will recognize it's pretty much like any trade. It works like that. You make all the mistakes in the first couple of years before you start becoming good at it, you know? Yeah, it has to be the way. You have to go through that period. And I don't remember that period for you. And so, and I'm sure a lot of other people don't. It's... I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) It's fantastic to hear when the moment you're coming on, you're really clear and succinct and get to the point yet you don't rush it you're conscious of incoming sounds so that we can hear there's nothing worse than somebody saying an interesting point and you know it's overridden by a motor noise I try it doesn't always work out but I try to get it but sometimes they're already talking there's nothing you can do you know and uh but yeah I try yeah um and so you've moved obviously from New Zealand fabulous place that that is and you're in Europe um and you've started Riders for Dogs. Now, which dogs are we saving, or is it dogs all over the world? Uh, you sort of... Well, I suppose to understand my motivation, I should start at the beginning. I, I mean, I love dogs, and um, we've, we had one rescue that a mechanic of mine, uh, he's actually the crew chief for uh, Scott Ogden. Um, he's living in Spain. He was British-born, but brought up in Spain, you know, with British parents. So he's bilingual and um, understands both cultures, much like my kids, same as, same as that. Um, but he got me a podinko, which uh, there's three sizes of them. We got the small one. Um, a podinko. <laughs> podinko. Podinko. I'm probably not pronouncing it right. Sounds so cute. Well, basically, uh, he got treated terribly. Oh, um, I mean, that. he had no fur, so stressed, oh. you know, and, um, and now he's like a prince. He sleeps on my bed every night. So, um, so uh, some other people rescued him. Grant, the crew chief for Scott Ogden, um, he took him in because he was part of that group and uh, he's watching the fridge open. <laughs> and so <laughs> he invited me around for a, for a meal but really the aim behind it was <laughs> to find a home for Felix. So he introduced us and of course I took him. And so I realized I, the plight of dogs, you know, I was introduced, mm-hmm. I, told, I saw how terrible condition the photos of Grant's when he first turned up and um, how many there are. I read up about how many there are in Spain that are wow, treated terribly and the hunting dogs as well. The law doesn't even protect them. Um, so you can do what you want, basically. And they often kill them at the end of hunting season rather than keep them until next Shocking. year. You know? it's, it's... So um, basically all of this, I started realising that I really give a shit about the plight of dogs, you know. And um, so I quit the teaching last winter to get my eyes done. And uh, my wife and I got new lenses, the new way not laser like drill a hole and change the lens mm-hmm. you know i'll look into that i didn't know there was a new way i've had the amazing. laser yeah. amazing <laughs> i can read the the fine print on that pepper shaker and see the top of the mountain that's truly amazing anyway fantastic yeah so i because of that i had time to think because otherwise i'd done four years of both jobs and i was burning out you know mm, and um, time so i needed up. yeah and again sorry it's so long-winded but because of the time off, I was already 
thinking, how can I help dogs properly? I'll do, I'll say why is, this is my honest feeling, is I wanted to do something because I understand that you can't do all the things you want to do to help others if you're fighting to pay off your house, to put your kids through school, um, to, as a young person, even without kids, just get up the ladder, you know, battle. I understand yes. your time's all taken, but my house is paid for. My kids are through school now. And um, my car, I own my cars. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, and if I don't do something, um, I won't forgive myself. Mm. That's the truth, you know, uh, like a guilt thing. I'll feel bad that I am in the position to do something with my platform and I don't. And so I was already thinking, how can I do something? And I walked in my garage and I saw, I think it was eight or nine leather suits from my career that I kept. Um, that's not many, I realized, but because you end up with five a year, roughly on average. And, um, but I had these eight or nine suits. I thought, I love dogs more than I love those leather suits. I'm going to sell them. Okay, the kids can have one each, choose what the rest I'm going to sell for the dogs. And that was just the idea to start. And um, we, we auctioned the first one and it went really well, two and a half grand. And um, then I was already worrying, what do I do when the suits are finished? And riders, current riders, because I'm dealing with them, you know, commentary and, and um, interviews and stuff. And Remy Gardner loves dogs. And he said, Sorry, what a great idea. Um, here's some boots and gloves. Juan Mir, um, he heard through Remy. He gave us some boots um, from the Suzuki days. And then it just started growing. Then I realized this can keep going, you know. It's not just my suits. And... Um, then, of course, my wife went, oh, dear, we can't do this legally. You know, fine, sell your suits and give the money away, but this is something else that you're going to keep doing it. Um, so she had, we stopped. She said, she advised me, stop. Let's do all the paperwork, which I'm sad to say took too long because I'm conscious mm. that two and a half months to do all the paperwork, uh, meaning banks, so many questions and papers trying to find out if you're money laundering or you know, whatever. Yes. Um, so once we got all through that, two and a half months, I, I'm conscious that the dogs aren't getting help in that time, you know, where we were. And you're thinking the snowball is melting. You were just rolling. Well, actually, it was growing. That's what blew me away. Then, then someone who loves dogs, loved bike racing when I raced. So they're similar age to me, uh, husband and wife went to superbike rounds the husband bought an rc45 second hand um and was right into i didn't i didn't realize this but they contacted me and said you can have the rc45 in the garage that is so generous well they i can see it now the thing had been sitting in the garage for over a decade didn't run they didn't know how to get it going to sell it because they just went we don't need this anymore you know and then they saw what I was doing and they wanted to help dogs and they thought two birds with one stone. I'm like, so happy. Like it's incredible donation, you know? So I went and picked it up. Well, Kirsten and I went and picked it up in France and brought it to um, their English wife, German husband. 
Um, and um, I brought it back and spent phew, a day and a half going through it and um, then put a new battery in and fired her up and she runs. Sounds mechanically Beautiful. really good. But we're getting off track again. But like that is a lot of money's worth of vehicle. And my wife's right. We've got to do it the proper way. An association and uh, books are open. You know what I mean? People can see where the money goes and comes and yeah, government can. And, yeah. And uh, but now photographers have got on board, um, you know, who love dogs. Professional MotoGP photographer who loves dogs. He's like, you want some pics? Get them printed Christmas, you know, get them signed. I've got the ability to get them signed by the by the writers. I'm so happy. This is really going to work. And it's not like I'm putting my own money in it. It's my time, effort, contacts, platform, and my awesome wife backing me up. Mm, that's the thing you have you are in a position to spread the web and you're making good use of that um what actually are you doing for the dogs how does that end of it work so you get your money how do you make that effective we're learning as we go there as well we were really cautious because we realized that if you just send money to people you don't know it's going to disappear and not get to the dog so that's my worry with any charity donations yep and um, so what we thought, rather than some massive charity that is obviously already reasonably funded because they're massive, you know, we, well, my gut feeling was to start with the people um, that love dogs. You know, they, they're volunteers, you know what I mean? They spend all their life looking after dogs, but because of that, they don't have any money to... to expand or to they they need good thinking and so yeah yeah well that but also so what we what we did is um grant he's the my contact and he he's in north of cartagena mercia way in spain and um i said what would you do and he goes good idea mate because they're not all good you know and so he said um i know a ripper like really good it's all volunteers and they do a heap of work they don't even have a base, but what they do is there's so many of them all that they've got this. I went to meet them. This guy, he's amazing. He's he's a um, a vet nurse, so not a vet, but the right hand person of a vet. And his all his spare hours, he's like Tarzan, going around jumping in rivers, rescuing dogs that someone's you know. Uh, that because they're on a rock with a flooded river and he'll get in there and rope and cats up trees any animals he just goes around rescuing things then once they get a bunch they rehome them in other cities he drives them around sleeps in his van that, that's been, yeah yeah the, <laughs> dogs approving of your <laughs> <laughs> um so these this group of people who are um it actually a lot of uh, women put it together they're young they're in kind of maximum early 30s late to mid 20s to early 30s it's this group they don't have a base they what do you call them they um billet them out to people that will take them until they find a home and that that's what this guy does is deliver them around the place i mean he goes into the center of spain there's an area there that they kill all the baby goats because the baby goats eat all the plants you know oh well, well Actually, they grow into adult goats and they eat all the plants. So, um, and that's probably their livelihood or their vegetable garden. And you can understand the conflict, but they kill them, you know, like 
hang them in trees you know like, mm. I'm like oh it's uh, like going back in time you know with some of the mentalities in the rural he goes out and grab takes them all you know because he was someone who would have called him that he he's amazing I mean he needs diesel you know um <laughs> because uh, you don't want him paying for his own fuel you know like doing that because he's working right. as a vet nurse and doesn't need you know but what I'm saying is what we did with this group is say uh once we got hold of it said give us a wish list and it was um cages to transport animals once they're picked up cages to catch them those ones with the door that slides down um dogs on the street and that to get them off the street uh uh, protective things for cars they clip on the headrest of front and back and it's like a sealed so they can transport because these volunteers have to transport cats and dogs in their own car you know or maybe right. even pigs and um so they need their cars protected and she wants to say here's one each to you people that do this um chip readers so they can try to find the owner of this dog or uh food look we loaded the car to the roof food wise like <laughs> I've got a decent sized car, an <laughs> R-class Merc, and it was loaded to the roof. Um, Excellent. Sorry, there are so many other things like leads, um, wipes, because they want to clean them up. Or um, Anyway, cats and dog stuff, they deal with both. But that was really successful because it was a grand worth of stuff, but they were so happy. Made a big difference. Yes, yeah. That's good to hear. So it's good to hear the actual practical items that are being purchased. Yeah. And then the second time after meeting them, we know their sound. They're really good. They've helped uh, on a few other things. They've contacted me about rehoming some collies, border collies recently from you don't want to know where. It's, like, it's a puppy farm, but the state of this place is like a horror movie. So they've said, they know I love border collies. We've got one and they're wonderful dogs. And I thought, I've got to help. This was over our summer break. And um, we know they're good, you know, so... I'm happy for, to help with what they need now, you know, and, yes. um, but, and the last, you don't have to deliver it. You can order it, Kirsten can order on Amazon, get it sent to them. And through our neighbors who have rescued dogs from Portugal, because they're holiday places in Portugal, um, they're quite elderly and they love dogs. Like, so they, the, where they got their dogs from, they volunteer and they know it's great. So I turned up there and on our summer break, had a look around and went, yeah, these, these, this woman is awesome. So we just gave her, we sent her money, you know, because she needs money for food and all these. But what I'm trying to do is vet them. Is that the right word? Yes, yeah. Rather than it go somewhere and be wasted, you know. But mm. so slowly it's building up with more people we know, more recommendations. And um, it's really nice to help the people that do it voluntarily you know they're not getting paid to do it yes they've um, started they're already doing it so you're yeah. stepping in and giving yeah. them a yeah a bit more of a method of a boost yeah and they're fully dedicated so yeah that, that's basically it and that's growing there's more and more uh that's growing quick we're getting more and more tips on the right places to help i bet yeah unfortunately there are a lot of uh dogs and cats as you say that need rescuing and conversely you've got these puppy farms it's bizarre People are breeding on one hand and I know and that that's what I wanted to tell you now is um there for example there's this awesome young girl that's part of that group Lucia is her name and she um that the, the original group we helped 
um, she was the one that contacted us and said, can you find a home for Border Collies, you know? Um, she's trying to get the guy prosecuted. Now, there was 300 animals in there and only half of them survived. Oh, gosh. And she, the, the collies that we took were from his other farm that the police hadn't found. Oh. And so you can see the state of the problem. If she doesn't push, she's working really hard to get him prosecuted. If, she, if he doesn't get prosecuted, he's going to carry on doing the same. And then yes, we have more dogs. Yeah. And so that's what I'm, I mean, I didn't realise that shit was that bad, you know. But now that I do, I realise that it's girls like her that need support. She's got a job, a normal job. And she's trying to, she's doing the police's job, turning up with evidence and, uh, you know, this person would be good to get a statement off, photos, um, and uh, kind of proof, doing their job, because they're probably not that interested, you know. I mean, yes. I'm... I probably shouldn't say that, but... Well, it's bottom of the list for the police work. I mean... I would think so, yeah. And um, so what I was going to say, um, without, I realise without, like if she burns out and gives up and we lose her, the problem's going to get worse. Like mm. we need to support her as well. Um, I don't know how yet, but I've got to, we've got to go and... Uh, my next trip is planned to meet this whole group and spend a bit of time with her without her knowing, you know. Yes, what, and work out what she actually out. Yeah, so she needs. doesn't give up. Like if things get too hard, she gives up, where well, the yeah. problem's going to grow. Because she's stemming that flow. Yeah. Mm. yeah, 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 yeah. Good for her. Wow. There are some incredible humans and some... Unbelievable. Oh, dread, dreadful humans. Monsters, I mean. yeah. Yes, yeah. So for the people who are listening who are in the position to donate something desirable... How will they find you? I mean, I know you know lots of people who are coming to you, but. Well, um, the easiest is to email my wife, um, which is Kirsten, K-I-R-S-T-E-N, at moto, M-O-T-O, V-U-D-U, voodoo, the Spanish way, V-U-D-U, um, dot com. And she um, is, I mean, she supported me through my race career. She's awesome. Uh, now she did the same for the kids for all their things they're chasing. And she's wouldn't be possible without her, all the paperwork. And, and basically, um, she's taking, for example, for the bike, so the RC45, when that comes up, it's basically bids sent to her email address because uh, we, we thought, looked at eBay and all that, and it's, restricted certain countries and you've got to post it quickly it's too difficult you know mm. so um but she's the one to be able to email and tell and she'll tell me we can talk about how to do, i'll talk to the people as well and um that's it just contact us tell tell her right. your idea how you think you can help or or if you're interested in any of our products yeah same deal email email her. kirsten so um, when the um, RC45 is ready, you'll put that up on Riders for Dogs on Facebook and Instagram. Yes. And I'll encase the, I mean, because Riders for Dogs is brand new. It's a couple of weeks old, you know, um, all of the social media. So there's not a heap of followers on there yet. So I'll retweet what Kirst puts on Riders for Dogs. Oh, Twitter as well. Yeah. Yeah. Retweet. Uh, sorry. Share on Insta and 
I don't have Facebook on my phone, but she'll put it on my Facebook for me. <laughs> so it gets awesome. out there. People, at least people yes. know. Yeah, yeah. And well, my idea is to leave it for a couple of weeks rather than a short, because to make sure everyone's heard about it and, and uh, try and get reasonable money for it. It's going to be fair because I've seen some of the prices there. They're silly. And it, this isn't an original bike. It's got a race fairing on it. It's got a brand new Krapovich exhaust. They must have put it on and parked it. Nice. Brand new. Um, race airbox. It, um, it was the... I won't, I'll explain it all on it, but it was the wife of a Honda dealer. It was her track bike and um, uh, the, the, in Germany, which the German guy bought. So that's where it came from. But it's it. Yeah, but exciting. It is. It's a bit of an unusual bike as well. So that's, you know, a good opportunity for somebody to pick something up that you can't just find. It's very collectible. That's for sure. Um, can I tell you an amazing one that's just happened is... Mike Trimby, who's the boss of Erta, yes. um, turns out he's a dog mad, dog lover. <laughs> Him and his wife, they run Erta, you know. That's all the bastards for the paddock, all that. So he finds out, comes to me on the grid before the bikes got there on Sunday and says, Simon, love what you're doing for Riders for Dogs. Go see Irene. We've got some passes for you, paddock passes and grid passes. I can't get them. They're like super special. You know, yeah. grid, stand on the grid. I, I know what you were going to say, but we'll, we'll think of something cleaner. <laughs> two, yeah, two, two auction for the dogs. That is not something you can go and buy <laughs> anywhere. No. Incredible opportunity for somebody else. I know, else, I yeah. know. I feel, I'm so happy that this is possible, you know. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, it just, it's clear, you know, it's... Um, the position platform and i think people like mike and others trust that i am going to give the money to the dogs and make sure it goes there you know and so yeah i'm really really proud and it's not just one race he's saying for a few races so <laughs> wow yeah that's going to be a great one to auction yeah <laughs> so how many dogs have you got you've got three yeah we almost had five because of the collies <laughs> and but oh, it's just not fair to go away to every race and leave my wife with five dogs you know trying to keep them happy and two kids okay they're big now so we've got um the Padenko. Uh, we used to have a jack russell but he died of old age um and he, he's what won us over with dogs the kid we got him when the kids were little and um he was incredible uh, their best mate then we've got a border collie because my daughter wanted a border collie and she got a dog border collie and uh he's incredible he's won me over completely and <laughs> they're as clever as monkeys and very <laughs> clever yes and uh yeah amazing uh, and just recently we rescued a believe it or not a czech wolf dog and um, he's magnificent. Basically, we realised my my wife found uh, found he was at the local pound. Um, we occasionally walk dogs at the pound just because they don't get walked enough, especially the big ones. Um, mm. A lot of a lot of good-hearted young uh, women, a lot of young girls go there, even late teens and that, and walk the dogs. And same with elderly people because they have more time, you know. But the monster dogs don't get walked by them because they 
it's not you need need a bit of strength to hold on to yes. them. They're full of beans from being locked up and you're walking difficult trails that are a bit rocky and it's not safe. So um Kirst and I, Kirst really fit, uh, strong, walking the mountains every day. Um and I'm not too old yet to walk something really strong. So we occasionally go in and walk the ones that don't get walked. And Kirst fell in love with uh, Finn, we've called him, um, <laughs> who's uh, the Czech um, military. This is a long time ago. Um, wanted to breed a dog. So this is for humans, they're not animals, as in that it was powerful enough uh, well, had a wolf strength and size, but was trainable like a German Shepherd. So they mixed this, but it, well, this was for stopping people running away from the through the Iron Curtain. You yeah, know? to be working dogs. Mm. Border mm. Patrol, you know, like between the two walls. Like, so um, they they said the initial ones failed, like because they were still wolves, too much wolf. <laughs> Because they're right. not really trainable, they're just wild, you know. And um, then they kept mixing in the German Shepherd until bang, the, the, so this breed came from that. And then he's big, he's a big dog. Um, and he's lovely, he's a big, he's like a puppy, you know, like, like super alert, like he'll spot a squirrel 500 metres away zooming across the road and or never misses the deer that run around when we're walking. So you've got to have, have hold, hold on to him well. Um, but he's a big puppy. He loves cuddles and yeah, so beautiful dog. But we, my wife's idea was, where's he going to go? We're lucky to live out of town and majority of people here in apartments, you know, mm. nobody's going to take him. He's going to have a shit life. It's not so, easy uh, for a big dog to house a big dog. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So that's it. Our three dogs. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah. The, the, funny you mentioned the, the walking um which is something people may not have thought of anybody can do go to your local dog charity and offer to walk the dogs and get yep. involved keep them sane because yeah. they literally go crazy mm. to give you an idea why it's important to give them some love and walk um these the people at the pound explained to i said to him he every time i walk it takes minimum 45 minutes mm -hmm. for this check wolf dog to calm down and he said they are so stressed, all of the dogs, because imagine being taken out of your family home, you don't know why, stuck in here, all of them are crying all night, barking, and he said it's so stressful for them, and they're stressed about being stuck in a cage. Um, he says not all of them uh, basically can endure this mentally. They, mm. Some of them go nuts. Yes. Um, and he said, so it's so important to um, get them out of there as soon as possible. And some of them have been there for years. So, Yes, yeah, it is sad. We, um, in a past life, we rescued a dog. And as you say, rows of dogs in cages, they're all going crazy and looking vicious. Took this dog out, still going crazy and barking at us. Took him home, you know, in a day or so, he calmed down and he was the, the perfect dog. He was just yeah. in that situation that was... Uh, you know just socially wrong for him and uh, yeah. and all of them they're, they're they're sort of wondering what's going on i'm completely convinced you put that well that all dogs unlike humans are good natured it's just they need patience and understanding to figure out why they're grumpy or are they in pain are they stressed are they and once you have a bit of patience they all come good you know it's incredible some of them you've obviously seen some dogs in rough situations and what they endure 
and they still come through and trust different yeah. humans. Yes. They, they have good souls. Dead right. Yeah. 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 Um, our son in Australia, and this is happening all over the world, dogs need rescuing. They rescued a greyhound, again, big dogs, not easy to rescue if you've got a place. But also they, he has a, a walking a dog pet service company and in his spare time he goes to greyhound places and walks the dogs you just go in and ask perfect and you can take the dogs out for a walk well the other one i want to throw in there is i see um occasionally families come to this pounds and take you know that they give them the real placid ones lovely floppy-eared cuddly things um that are not too big to drag them off their feet but what a great kids day out it costs nothing the kids yes. have well, these, this family I was talking to, and they said, we live in an apartment, we travel, we can't have a dog, but we want the kids to understand dogs. And and it's an awesome, I wouldn't say day, it's a morning or an afternoon spent. It's a great experience. Everybody's yeah. happy and it costs nothing, you know? Yeah, and you're, you're ingraining into your children that care factor. Exactly. And just letting them know what's out there, that there are these animals that need some extra help. Yep, and just a little bit of love. Yeah. Um, can I take you back to Moto Voodoo? You've got, so you've spent years teaching and uh, you have a book as well. Book and, and, and we've, I mean, we did the book. Now it's just become an e-book. Someone else has done that for us. Um, uh, and basically I wrote the book and then it went really well. And then I realised a lot of young people now, or a lot of people just don't bother reading. They want to see it on a video click youtube whatever so um once the book had paid for itself we put it on youtube so motor voodoo on youtube um there's we broke it down into all the lessons you know yeah that sounds great that's interesting well i was yeah i didn't know that so that's good and anybody listening will find out so that they can go to youtube and look at that i will do that fascinating but it was an awesome period meaning i had a car while riding enduro um, I was a track manager for Red Bull Romaniacs, a crazy hard enduro race in Romania. Um, an Austrian guy with Red Bull backing puts it together every year. And um, I raced it twice, then got to know him and worked as track manager for him, which is a, a month in the mountains making the circuit, you know, and marking it and cutting it, talking to the local police where we're going to cross the road. And, and I had a car while preparing the track broke my spine um you're talking now i've got like six um over five vertebra uh two rods all fixed together five vertebra and oh, wow it took a while to get walking because i had no toilet functions no feeling no nothing in the beginning i thought i was paralyzed so step by step and i took yeah, 11 11 months 11 months to get walking which means 11 months no work so andorra is a, a tax haven but there is no backup you know so mm. I burnt my savings running the family and myself for that 11 months then thought during this time thought I'm in I'm in a hospital bed I'm like I'm proud of my race career but I'm not proud of the years after because I was fucking lost uh, like a lot of sports people after they quit I was literally depressed and lost now that I uh, lost now that I look back and um, I want to be proud of the next period what can I make build or, uh, and I decided the only thing I know really well good enough to make a um, something 
really high quality out of his racing. So that's where Moto Verde came from, you know, is like oh. trying to put all that I learned the hard way into lessons, you know, to stop yes. people crashing. It's mainly about a big bike, how to ride a big motorcycle fast. And, um, and it, then did the schooling on top of that. And I've stopped all that. So I'm not doing it as a promotion, you know. Uh, no, you I'm just literally explaining why, um, yeah, it was a, a big battle to get back out of that hole. And I'm proud of that, getting back out, you know. But now, um, then the, the GP thing came up. I did both for four years but I can't keep up. I'm literally, was I was burning out till last, winter, and now I'm just going to focus on the GP stuff. You've achieved a lot. You probably don't realise it will give yourself the kudos, but yeah, you've achieved a lot there. Lots of, well, include, I'm including Riders for Dogs, which is obviously in, in baby stage development, but you've, lots of your projects are sort of sharing, sharing information and sharing things. And interesting, you say about sports people, even I know golfers who do, you spend, you know, the, the first former, former years getting there, you get there and you're doing your thing. And then what? You're sort of left with that one skill, as it were, and not a lot to, to sort of look ahead for because you've, you've had that massive build up in life. Yeah, it's like a massive hole in your life, you know, because you focus on it so much. You, your waking time is thinking about it and you're going to sleep is going to think of how to be better, how to, you know. That's the only way to get good at something. And um, then it's gone. It's like difficult. It's kind of like, I think it's, I've heard someone say that it's like your identity, you know, and then it's gone. It's like really quite strange. Almost like a bereavement, sort of that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I I just was grumpy. (laughs) I was grumpy. (laughs) And um, I can't imagine that. (laughs) Well, yeah. If my wife had said it, I wouldn't have listened. I can admit that. But because you're too close, you know, you think, what's she on about? Um, but it was an ex-teammate of mine who is like, un- he became like uncle to my children. I love him. He's a great guy. And um, he turned up, he loved coming here, loved riding in the hills with me and barbecues. And and um, like I said, being uncle to my kids. And uh, he turned up and he goes, Sai, what's wrong? And I went, what? What do you mean? He goes, every time I come, you're angrier. I was like, I, that really made me stop. That was the mm. turning point of trying to figure out why I was, um, well, that I was, even figure out that I was depressed. I don't even know what, I, I'm reasonably happy, you know, and I didn't, it takes a bit to recognise there's something wrong like that, you know, that you need to figure yes. out. Yeah, so he gave you the nudge. And it takes a huge amount to um, work out how to change your mindset when you're in that sort of situation, I mean, depression is another fascinating um, subject. I'm a big believer in that we humans, um, I figured out this before my time in the hole, you know, feeling bad. Um, we need to fight to survive, you know? That's what we need to do. We need to be so busy, we can just keep up. And as soon as you have too much free time, um, if you don't fill it with something, uh, worthwhile you know that you can be proud of the result is a real big chance of you not being happy you know and that's how I see it we meant you find your to... purpose yeah 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 well I think it's just too much time to think is dangerous you know like really like 
as in, I mean, you need some time to figure out your direction you want to head next. But if you sit around thinking about it too long, you end up not happy, you know, or thinking yourself into a downward spiral instead of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thinking, I mean, all the little things become big. And um, I just finished watching Arnold a couple of nights ago, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I really enjoyed that because he said a couple of the same things that I completely agree with. He like when his brother died and his dad died and ran. He, he and then throughout his life, he just said his dad always said his dad wasn't very nice. He was well from the war, coming back from World War Two, and losing and being in, then figuring out you're involved in lots of people being killed. You know, like exterminated, mm. and he was well messed up. Like, um, but he said his dad always said it doesn't matter if you're happy or not. You you um figure out keep busy and be useful you know be useful be useful and then i thought that's bang on and then he said i didn't get um uh, depressed about my brother and father dying brother got killed in a car accident drink driving and um he said i was too busy i was too busy on missions to get down you know and, and I completely agree with that whatever your opinion of Arnold Schwarzenegger and your preconceptions I, I urge people to watch that yeah whether you like him or not there's some great stuff and he's really impressive what he's achieved it's crazy yeah he is yeah. He's, he's quite the human being yeah and he did some bad stuff and um really paid for it like especially in the end so um and he's doing good stuff now mm-hmm. yeah yes yeah fascinating like you doing good stuff yeah he's the same same mentality yeah hey one other thing about the dogs um the thing is if you haven't you're not busy enough and you are sad they they're like having kids around you've got to go take them walking you've got to and so it stops you thinking about the things that are bumming you out you know and i reckon they're they're brilliant for that as well they are they're they're but dogs have um, all sorts of special properties, for want of a better word. Like when I you're sick. When, okay. Yeah, when you're sick or when you do pet them when you're in their company, I think it raises something in you called oxytocin or some, I'm not, I'm not very good on the medical side of things, but it literally physically makes you better. And you are doing that for the dog as well. It's a two-way thing. It's yeah. fascinating. It's like caring, responsibility. You're caring for them, their happiness, their needs. But they give back amazingly. Like, for example, when, um, well, both the little Felix you met before and Chopper, the Jack Russell before, middle of the night when you wake up and you're worried about something, you know, and you can't go back to sleep, the help of just having them there. Just petting them and stroking them. Yeah, yeah. They love it. They know you're awake. They recognize and um, you feel better. The time awake shortens because of them, you know. Yeah, they sort so, of key into what's happening in your mind. It's it's amazing. They'll come up to you when you're not expecting it. Yeah. A little nudge. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic creatures, as you say. Let's talk a little bit about MotoGP. Yeah. 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 I think that the concessions to help the Japanese manufacturers, Honda and Yamaha, uh, that are really struggling at the moment. And I think they will happen. I believe they will, because we can't afford to lose them. The sport can't. But you have to get the European manufacturers, KTM, uh, Aprilia and Ducati, to agree. You can't just do something, you've got to agree. And that's 
why I've thought about it. I came to this uh, conclusion before the summer break at Aston, and you. Um, but I think they will agree because they all know that winning a championship without the Japanese in is not the same kudos. It's not the same credit, you know. My results, the ones I'm most proud of, for an example, is because of who's standing on the podium below me. No other reason, you know. If there's someone everybody knows and you're ahead of them, you know, they're the champion, you know what I mean? Yeah, That's the buzz. That's what, yeah. And I think that the European manufacturers think the same about the situation. Dorna, you think about it for their point of view, they can't afford to lose a Japanese because the championship's going that way, you know? So I believe that'll happen. And then everyone's saying, where's Mark going to go? You know? But if you've just agreed, if you're KTM, uh, Ducati or Aprilia, the three strong ones at the moment, if you've just agreed to help the Japanese with concessions so they won't leave, why would you then take their star rider? Right, yes, I see. So politically, I think they're not going. So I think Mm. Mark's got to stay or quit. And the only way they would, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but the only way I think that I could see it being politically okay to take Mark, if you're one of them, is if Mark's already quit, you know? You see what I mean? He's gone anyway. He's already left Honda, you know? Um, But then if you're Alberto Puz, for example, the boss of Honda, um, if they get concessions, that's massive. Mm. It means they can have aero updates and engine updates during the season when nobody else can. It's huge. So wouldn't you go to your rider and say, if you're, you know, Mark, Mark, this is, this is amazing, man. We can do what we want during the year. You know, for example, Danny Aldridge, the Erta guy who controls um, this, all the rules, you know, that each manufacturer at the beginning of the season have to give them one of everything, one cylinder. So they've got those parts in a box and they can compare material measurements, everything. So you cannot change your engine during the season uh, once you've homologated it. But the the, the concession box is empty because they can. It's massive. You can constantly evolve when the others are handicapped, stopped, you know? So That's right. wouldn't you go to Mark then and say, Mark, next year we've got concessions and you're the highest paid guy on the grid. Are you going to walk away from both those? There's a reason to stay, you know? Yes. I mean, he's he's wanting, he's a racer. He wants to win. And win. he... Yeah. Yeah, if he sees there's that option there to to race and to win, he's going to go for it like a bee for that. So I just wanted to share my thoughts. I've got no proof on any of that, but that's what I think. And that's my job is to share my thoughts of what's going on. At the end of the day, we want the racing to carry on. You look at the overall picture. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be knocking other manufacturers out. The idea is to have fantastic racing. Well, you're dead right. And the, I should share one more thing to back up what I'm saying about the concessions. When Ducati were really in trouble, um, this is uh, before Rossi went to them, or around, you know, basically when they were in trouble, they, uh, the Japanese manufacturers were the ones that agreed to give them concessions to bring them up 
because they realise it's more kudos when there's more people in the championship. You know, we need a European in there, European manufacturer. And yes. um, so there's that. But also I heard secondhand, but from a pretty good source, that when Rossi went to Ducati, he'd already won on the Yamaha. Yamaha had given him those motorcycles to have in his lounge. You know, he'd won the championship for them. You would give him his, his bike, wouldn't you, you know? Yes. He asked Yamaha if he could give one of them to Ducati to look at. I mean, I'm talking pull apart. Oh, really? And apparently they agreed. That's very forward thinking. They yeah. Want, they want the racing to continue. The championship, yeah. So when you know all this, Ducati are not going to disagree. Sorry, not going to say no. When you join those dots, yeah. Yeah, that's the way. I, I mean, might be wrong, but let's see what happens. You know, I, I mean, from my point of view, as a layman watching the racing, it's getting faster and faster and people are crashing more. Do you think there will be any review of kind of bringing the speed level down a little? Well, then I think normally I would say, no, no, I don't want that. But the one thing that overrides that thought is the motorcycles are going to be too fast to go to some of the most beautiful circuits in the world. Yes, the tracks won't sustain that sort of speed. The faster you go and, and around corners and at corners, when it goes wrong and you lose the front, the bigger runoff you need. And for years, Dorna have been making these circuits move their walls back, which costs millions. Mm. But, but they've all done all they can without buying the land next door. And they're saying no now, you know? And so what's more important, that the bike go as faster or and we go or we, we can go to all the beautiful circuits. Imagine having to go to all the boring brand new type of things that, and we miss out all the ones with history because the bikes got too fast. And so because of that, I'm a fan of them holding them back somehow, you know, in the future because it's just going crazy how fast they are yes yeah. yeah it's just going to get beyond yeah and one more thing what is your um you were talking talking about when you you beat that person that yeah. you held up so what's kind of your key moment in your career when you've got it's to a point really of... easy the when Mick Doohan is standing below me on the podium <laughs> I mean it was good <laughs> enough standing next to him and being right behind him but standing above him, all of those ones. It was Mick because he was like five times world champion and the best for a whole era. He was, he was the Rossi of that period, you know, or the Marquis of that period when I was riding. So to be able to stand above him on the podium makes it, yeah, super special. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Welcome. And I hope the listeners got something out of it and enjoyed, uh, enjoyed a little bit. But thanks for having me on. And thanks for supporting the dogs. All right, lovely. Okay, thank you so much, Simon. Enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> Bye, everyone. See you. <laughs> Bye.